And today I want to talk to you about the sixth church in the book of Revelation and we find it in Revelation chapter 3. Now this is a really interesting church because a lot of people call it the loving church because it is the church which is located in Philadelphia. The word Philadelphia means brotherly love, brotherly love. And, and a lot of people and commentators calls this the brotherly or the loving church because it's situated there. And there's no bad things that Jesus uh, says to this church. You will notice as we go through. But I want to call this church actually the serving church. Because you will see as we go through this message now that this is more so a church that is serving the gospel to the lost. And, and that's so. But there's another name which I like and, and I've actually given the theme or the topic uh, for the sermon the following. I believe this is the church of the open doors. The church of the open doors. And, and how wonderful it would be that Kingsway Christian Fellowship in Karam Downs is a church with an open door. And I think it is so befitting that if we're going to read the account of this church in Philadelphia, that you will see it is surely and truly the church of an open door. Now, when we talk about open doors, and you will see once we get into the passage again, I want to challenge you. Are you a person of open door? Now, what do I mean by that? Are you allowing God through the Holy Spirit to use you to preach the gospel to the poor and to the lost? Now, brother and sister, dear friend, you are called for that purpose. You are called for the purpose to spread the gospel. There will come a time uh, when the church has been raptured out of the earth when the church and the Holy Spirit, the, the restrainer is removed from the earth, then, then the time for the church to proclaim the gospel is finished. You will see it evidently after chapter 4 going on. We have to get the 144 Jews to preach the gospel. We have to get angels to come and preach the gospel. And, and this is so evidently the two witnesses that had to come down. So now when the time is right, when, when the harvest is ripe on the fields, it is time for you to be an open door for God to use to proclaim the gospel. And believe me, the harvest is ready. You know, this is one of the most, the in all of our lifetimes, in all of my grandfather's lifetime, my, my father's lifetime, my lifetime, my children's lifetime. This is the most, uh, 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 you know, great time to preach the gospel because it is a difficult time. People are reaching out. They want to hear about this hope. We are, we are sitting in a hopeless world. You know, a, a pandemic came in and it took the hope of people away. You are sitting locked down. You've got nowhere to go. People are bought to their bits. They don't know what to do. And they are reaching out. And when they reach out, you need to be an open door for the Holy Spirit and for the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God to reach out to these people. So that is the personal application and the challenge, not only to you, but to me this morning. So I want you to think about this church that we're coming to now. It is the sixth city that we're going to see. And this city is Philadelphia, brotherly love. Now, he didn't get his name because of the church. No, no, this is due to what happened around that. And, and the name came from one of the people who lived there. But the city was a very prosperous city. Now, I want you to think as I'm going to explain to you about the city of Philadelphia, how applicable this letter from Christ is to that church in that city. Now, Philadelphia had one of the greatest highways in the world, uh, which connected Europe with the East. The West and the East were connected through that one place. Now, it is not like today you can jump on an airplane or you can get in a boat and along the coastline there you can get a lot of entries into the east. It's not like that. Or you can go the different way around. There were no airplanes. There were no big boats. A, a journey 
had to had to go on the shortest route over the sea uh, you know the people back in the day didn't want to spend months on the sea they took the shortest routes and alongside that route they would build cities now this particular one philadelphia was the gateway from one continent to another and the way the greeks and the romans did this is they would sort of build a city right there like a gateway into the rest of the east uh, they would call it the barbaric area and this would be a place where all the merchants would come in and they would in that city that gateway city that door to the east they would come and replenish themselves and they would get ready for the rough uh, uh, trip after that city so this this was the gateway and the purpose for the city when the greeks built the city it was, it, it was sort of to bring um, the language of the Greeks into the other parts. And it's, it's to bring in the culture and the mannerisms of the Greeks into the barbaric world how they saw it back in the day. So, now, Philadelphia had so many gods that people called it the Little Athens. You would remember in Athens in the book of Acts when Paul walked through the city in Athens there were so many statues to the gods the olympian god the sun god thor and all of these he walked through all of those statues until he came to one which they had a a, a, a break there and he said to the unknown god and paul brilliantly used that to speak to them and to preach to them the gospel now now to this particular place Jesus Christ writes this letter through John to be sent to them. I want you to follow now and see how Jesus Christ speaks for himself a title uh, to speak to these people, how he describes himself to these people in that city. In Revelation chapter 3 verse 7, he says unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write these things, says he, who is holy listen right he who is holy he who is true he who has the key of david uh, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens just meditate a little bit on that there's so much packed into that verse there and i want to unpack it for you now he says first of all he who is holy now we know that god is holy the word holy here and uh, uh, also reference set apart and and this is so uh, poignant to them living in that culture prosperous culture in fact you know it is said that when philadelphia was hit by a massive uh, earthquake that they did not ask the government to help them to recover they used their own resources to recover the city now within all of that uh, jesus comes to them and he says i come to you as the one who is holy and separated on morality and on truth and this is how they should strive to be remember what peter says he says be holy for i am holy god is calling us to a life of holiness that word holiness means to be set apart from the world and when he comes to them he comes as one who is set apart from the world and to you and me that's still a lesson right now it's a lesson to you and me it is a lesson to look at your own life right now and ask god if you are living that separated life now he's not only saying holy but he also say say he who is true now i want you to understand this there's an ancient word greek word the formula for the word there there's two meanings for this one means true and not false now if we think about that that is the logic one that we would go to if somebody say this is true then we think the opposite of true is false and uh, that's a meaning of a word there but there's a second meaning of this word here the word true it is true and not fake that is the word athlenios it is true and not fake the idea here is it is something real or something genuine 
and Jesus is true in all who he, he is. He is real God and he's a real man. And this is the idea he gave them. First of all, separated holy. And secondly, he's true. He's not fake. And again, I come back when he writes it to them. Walking through Philadelphia and you see all of these statues of these gods. They are all fake. They are no real gods. And here comes the holy God and the true God. And he stands in front of them and he speaks to them. So you always remember that. It's not that Christ is not false. No, no, he's not fake. Everything, everything around who claims and proclaims to be God is fake. But he's the true, the real, the genuine God. Now that's how he comes to them in their environment. Now we see a lot of fakeness in our world. If we look around, we see that people are, are saying, just come and sign up for this and you'll be happy. We want to make you so happy. Oh, it's going to cost you a lot of money, but if you pay the money, we will make you happy. And in the end, it turns out to be fake. People say, this is success. And if you come and you give us all of your time and your effort, we will make you successful, really successful. But they can't. It's all fake until, listen to me very carefully, until you accept Jesus Christ, repent your sin to him and meet the real true Jesus. That brings within you not fakeness, but it brings within you substance, the substance of the, of the holy and the true God. So now he says to them, this holy and true God, the genuine God, he says to them, he who has the key of David. Have you seen that? Remember what we said a few uh, uh, sermons before. Key gives you the authority and the power. If you've got the key, then you've got the authority to use what's behind the door. You've got the power to utilize that. And now he himself comes and he says to them, He, Jesus, has got the key of David. And then he says, who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now, what is he referring to when he uses this phrase, the key of David? What is he talking about? Well, he's referencing or he's quoting the scripture in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. And listen to this now, because it's exactly what he says. He says, and the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulders. So he shall open and no one shall shut and he shall shut and no one shall open. Now this promise that was made here in Isaiah was made to a man by the name of Eliakim. Now Eliakim was the servant of Hezekiah and he served Hezekiah the king very loyal. And then the prophet came to Hezekiah and he came to the people and he said to them, he said to this man Eliakim, will be given the keys of David. No, no, the key of David. It's not keys. There's only one key. And remember, Eliakim at that point in time would have the authority and the power to listen now to all of the national treasure. That's right. All of it. He's been given the key. He's been given the authority. He's been given the power of all of the national treasure that David and the, and, and, and the country had. Not only that, but also over government. So he could rule. He could make a decision and it would stand because he had that key. He had the authority of that. So that was given to Eliakim. Now, obviously, when you read in the book of Isaiah, you see Eliakim as a type of Christ. And here is the fulfillment of that as well, where Jesus comes and he proclaims that. Now he says, I have got the key of David. Now, every Jew would have understood this. Every Jew in that church would have understood this because remember, the Jews were studying the prophets. And the Jews would have studied this passage around Eliakim. They wouldn't have known then that Eliakim was a type of Christ. They wouldn't have known that. 
but they would have understood the key of David. They knew David was the king and they knew that the king will have the power over the treasury and over the government. So this is so telling for us. Christ is telling this church and he's telling us today that he controls the government economy all over the world even today you say to me whoa whoa wait a minute preacher we see what a lot of countries is doing they are misusing their money and and you know they are using money to make rockets to kill people and you know there is corruption going on yes you're absolutely right he gives people a choice to use that but they will give an account of every single penny that god entrusted to them don't you worry about them. Worry about you. How are you working with God's uh, blessings? You see, He has got the authority over the blessings over to you. Let me just say it now. If God wants to bless you, He will bless you. He will bless you. He's got the authority and He's got the power to bless you. No one can take that away. It's not luck. It is His blessing and He says it to them. He's got the keys over David. In other words, he's got the keys to the treasury. Now, I don't want you to think and sit there, wow, God can give me, you know, million, 10 million, 50 million dollars. That's not what it is. Because Paul comes out uh, when he writes write a letter to if the church in Ephesus and he says to him, I greet you with all of the spiritual blessings of God. Let's, let me say, if God blesses you spiritually, you're a rich man, you're a rich woman. And here he comes out and he says he controls the economy of the whole world. And all that happens with that. So that is the key of David. So I, I just want to stop here for a minute around the open door because, brother and sister, I can testify to you that if God opens up a door in your life, that that door stays open until God shuts it. And I can testify for you. I mean, I recall back in South Africa when the Lord called me into ministry. He opened up the door to ministry. I remember vividly how I prayed to the Lord after I got saved. And it was nearly a year after that that I, I remember we had um, re, uh, outreach um, into another town for the church that I was part of. And um, we had 10 services. And this particular night when I was standing in that service, that the tent was packed with people. I cried out to the Lord during the worship and I said, Lord, you know, I want to be like Isaiah. Send me. I want to preach your, your gospel. I want to preach your sermon. And I can surely say, brother and sister, the Lord spoke to me. He dealt with me. And he opened up a door. And I thought that that door was to, you know, for the church that I was part of to, to go and be a pastor for them in one of the churches. And I had, I had two callings while I was still in South Africa to go and pastor a church. But it didn't eventuate. It didn't open up. It didn't, it didn't happen for us. And after the second one, when it didn't happen for us, I started to doubt in all of that. But you see, this passage always came back to me that God opened the door. We didn't just know at that point in time what the door was. It was really interesting. I was in an Afrikaans-speaking church preaching in Afrikaans. And I've never for the life of me would have thought that I would be preaching English all of my life. And then when the call came to go to New Zealand and to, to minister there, not even thinking of pioneering a church, you know, we went straight away. We packed up our family, my wife, my two little children, and we went to a different country. And the Lord just opened up door upon door upon door. And you know what? That door is still open because if God opens it, no one can shut it. And so many times, let me tell you, dear friend, over those years, so many times, the devil tried to shut that door. He tried to shut my mouth. There were incidents that happened. Very discouraging incidents that happened during that time. And you know what? They kept on keeping the door open. 
And even when we had to come to Australia, you know, I prayed to the Lord, put it before him. We had a church at that point in time and I prayed for the Lord. I didn't want to just do that. And the Lord gave me scriptures. He opened up a door again and I came. And, and so much so, if I think about, if I think about Paul, when he speaks about this, you know, he, he's, he's out. He, he just talks about this open door that God gave him. And I feel by far not, I'm not Paul and I'm, I, I would by far not say that I'm a Paul, but I feel how he felt. When he speaks about an open door. Now, the door here when he speaks to this church here is the door of the opportunity to preach the gospel. Remember, this city is the gateway into the east. This city back in the day was the last stop before you went into the barbaric uh, uh, side of the country. People who didn't know God. Robbers, you know, you call them. And the only thing you could bring to those people were the gospel, the good news, an open door to preach the gospel. That what was given to this church. You know, I, re I recall when Paul writes in Corinthians to the church, 1 Corinthians 16, 8, he says, but I will tarry in Ephesus. He says to them, I want to come to you, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Now listen to what Paul say. He says to them, I want to come to you, I want to do it, but I'm going to stay until Pentecost, because a great and effective door has opened to me. For what, Paul? To preach the gospel. To share the gospel to people who didn't hear it. And there's only one who can open that door, and that's God. You know, he says in 2 Corinthians, he writes the second letter to them, chapter 2, verse, verse 12. He says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach uh, Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord. God loves his doors and he opens the doors and he closes them. But he says back there in chapter uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 8, he says, and there are many adversaries. So as God is opening up a door, there will be opposition to try to close the door. But I, I want to implore you. I want to tell you to listen to God and not to man. Listen to God. Don't listen to man. He says in Troas, the door was opened to me by the Lord. And then again in Colossians chapter 4 verse 3, he says, Meanwhile, praying also for us. He prays for them. He tells for them how he prayed for them. And now he asks them to the church at Colossae to pray for them, for us that God would open to us a door for the word, for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in chains. The mystery in Christ right there is the mystery of the church. The mystery there is the revelation that the church is the Gentiles and the Jews together. And he says there, he says to that church, pray so that God may open to us a door to preach the gospel. Whenever I study in all of this time the New Testament and I find the door and I study the doors, I always find it comes back to the gospel. Preach the good news. So this is why I call it the church of an open door. It's not because the church is there and the front door is open for people to come in. No, no. The church is there and the front door is open for people to go out and preach the gospel. Paul didn't sit in one place and say, keep the doors open so that they come. No, no. He went out and preached the gospel. And this is the open door for this church. So you see a lot of people say it's the, it's the loving church. It's just because it's in Philadelphia. But in a way it is because what are we doing? We are proclaiming the love of Christ. And the only way you can do that is to proclaim the gospel. And again, I come back to what I say. This is the, this is the greatest opportunity we're going to get. Every time when there's a catastrophe happening in the world, people run and try to find answers. 
What will you do when they come to you and ask you? Because Peter says that when people come to you, you need to be ready. You need to be ready to give them an account of what they ask for. The reason why you are so calm. The reason why you still got hope in a hopeless world. Come on, brother and sister. I know it's tough. And, you know, I complain. I'm not going to sit here and and be a hypocrite. I complain. It's not nice. I I complain that my freedom is gone. But I'm not going to fight it with with a weapon. No, no, I'm not going to fight it with that. I'm going to stay calm and I'm going to trust on God. And I'm going to live with hope on God. And I'm not going to worry about tomorrow because the Bible says I can't grow an inch worrying about tomorrow. You know, I'm not going to grow hair back worrying about tomorrow. In fact, I will lose more hair and they will turn more gray. So worrying is not going to help. Jumping up and down is not going to help. Now, I'm not saying that we should not have a voice. We do have a voice. But whenever you've got that voice, bring it back to the gospel. Not to not losing our rights. We are going to lose our rights. I'm just telling you now, if, and, and, and listen to me very carefully. If you do not believe in the rapture, God bless your heart. But those people who's going to stay behind once the rapture takes place, they're going to lose even more rights. And, and let me just say, the vaccine is not going to be the answer. The vaccine is not going to give you rights. You know, a politician is not going to give you rights. Some people are just praying that Donald Trump should come back and, and it's, it's not going to happen. I don't read anywhere in the Bible that he's the Messiah. No. You know, now is the time in a hopeless world for you and for me to show a glimpse of hope. Be optimistic because we are serving a righteous God. And here we find now that these doors are open and, and brother, sister, you might be sitting there and praying for so long. God is the God of the doors. He opens them and then he says, once he shuts them, it's shut. Now, let me just say, once it's closed, no one can open it. This door of salvation, this door of the preaching of the gospel. Once it's shut, it is not. And once it's shut, judgment is certain. So while the door is open and salvation is available, why don't you walk through the door? First of all, come to Jesus Christ. Call upon His name. You know, repent of your sin. Ask Him to save your soul. You see what the world is going to. I beg of you, brother and sister, if you're not saved by the blood of the Lamb, dear friend, come to the Savior. Do not delay. Because once that door is closed, then judgment is certain. I wanted to labor a little bit long on the door. Because, you know, I feel personally I've got a witness and a testimony about it. And there's so many people who complain about things that didn't happen in their lives. You know, oh, this should have happened and it didn't happen. And, I, and sometimes I deal with people who's unhappy in their lifestyles they're living in. And dare I say also, there's sometimes people who's not even happy in their relationships they're in. First of all, you made a lot of choices for where you are today. But secondly, you need to understand that if God opened that door because you've prayed for it, then the only one who can close that door is God. And be careful not to pray to God to close a door when you're emotional. <clears throat> so now he says to them, I know your works. This is one of the churches he didn't come with a negative thing against them. He says to them there in verse 8, he says, I know your works. Say I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, you say, preacher, why did you hammer in so on on, on the open doors? Because he repeats it in verse 8. He says in verse, in, in verse 7, he says, I am the one who's got the keys of David, who opens a door and no one can shut, and shut and no one can open. And then in verse 8, he comes to them and says, I know your works. See, I've said before you, 
the open door because I've got the keys to open the door, the authority to open the doors. And then he says, you've got a little strength and have kept my word. Oh, you know that I'm going to say it. They kept his logos. We need to keep his word. In the world we're living in right now, in what's going on in the world right now, the only thing that's going to give you substance and stability, which is an anchor and a foundation, is the Word of God. Now, when he says they, they've got little strength, it doesn't mean they are tired and they're just lying around. No, no. It means that they are a small group. And it might look, because they're a small group, against the, the overwhelming powers of the world, that they are weak. They're not weak. He didn't say to them, um, you know, that you are weak and have kept my word. No, no. He says you've got a little strength and have kept my word. Remember that always. We are not weak. I'm not weak. I'm strong by the grace of God. And although the world overwhelms me, Although they, they might come and take me and put me in jail. And it might, you know, people might look from afar off and say, look at that weak, pathetic Christian. No, 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 no. I might look like someone who's got little strength against the overarching power of the enemy. But I've got little strength. That's a difference. And I will keep God's word. I will keep his word and not deny his name. To poignant things that you and I should do. So what will Jesus do for them? Only great. He says to them, you've kept my word. You've got a little bit of strength and you didn't deny my name. Now see what I'm going to do for you. I love this. He says in verse 9, Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but they lie. Indeed, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. That is so wonderful. Those people who think now that they've got the overhand, they will come and worship at your feet. Why will they come? Because you will be in a position. Listen, he said it before. He said that we will reign with him as kings and priests when he comes back in his thousand year reign. Kings and priests. Each one of us. And that is so wonderful. And now he says that those who lie, who say they are Jews and they are not. You know, the pretenders, I, I preached about it last week. The pretenders who comes in. And the pretenders is sitting amongst you, uh, between us in the church, in the real church. The pretenders is sitting right there. He addresses them in the other churches. But here he says, those who, who like that, indeed, they will come and worship before your feet. Don't look now what's going on. Think about what's coming after that. Because you have kept my command to pers persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on it. Now again, here is a reference to the rapture of the church. He says to this church, this church here, he says to them, I will keep you from the hour of trial. You need to understand that God did not intend for his children to be part of the hour of trial, which will come upon the whole earth. He says it right there. How will he keep us? He will remove us from it. He will absolutely take us out of it. And this is so important for us to understand the whole concept thereof. We are not meant to drink blood. We are not meant to go under the, the penalty that, that is, is owed to Jerusalem or, and Israel in the last days, in the last seven years, uh, beyond uh, chapter 4. That was never meant for us. It's meant for the nation. God will deal with his nation. And how he's going to deal with his nation, it's going to affect the whole world. Because he says also to test those who dwell on the earth. To test them. Now, I said it to a brother the other day. I said to him, why would God then leave us to test us again? We've got a living relationship with him. He saved us. 
He nailed our sins on the cross with him. He said, Tetelestai, it is finished. And then he, he forgave me my sins, past, present and future. Now, he is building my faith, how? By the preaching of the word. Every single day as I read the word, as I pray, as I communicate with him in this relationship with him. Why then would he then put me down in the tribulation when things is going to become unbearably difficult on this world just to test me again? Is that how we do it? I mean, if I think when I married my wife, when we were young, you know, we came together, we trusted each other, we got married. Do I now wait, you know, until we're old and say, okay, now for the final test before I accept you as my wife. It doesn't work that way. No, no, he will test the whole world to dwell on it and they will be tested with the wrath of God. Listen to it again. He says, I will also keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world. Behold, I come quickly in verse 11. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Okay, let me stop here and I want to unpack that just a little bit more about the crown. This does not say that you will lose your salvation. This is not what it's saying. You need to study your Bible more, sir, madam, preacher who preaches that. Because this is not an indication. Behold, I'm coming to hold fast your salvation that no one may take your salvation. No, no. We need to understand what a crown is for and what we're going to do with the crown. This has got nothing to do with salvation. I know I repeat myself, but I want to repeat it one more time. One more time. This is not saying you lose your salvation. So we read in the Bible about five crowns. We find five crowns. In fact, that's how many that I counted. There could be for some people only three. There could be more, but I'll give you scripture verses now, which demonstrates five crowns. First of all, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 7, Paul writes to, to this young pastor again, and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me, listen now, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, capital letter day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What will you get on that day of his appearing? The crown of righteousness. What does righteousness mean? It means to live a life acceptable to God. Okay, he says to, 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 to this young Timothy, he says, I've lived my whole life. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. You can also say this is a crown of victory because that is applicable now to the church. In he says, but there is for me a crown of righteousness. Now, brother and sister, if you live that righteous life as a child of God, you will receive that crown of righteousness. But then also in Corinthians, he talks about another crown. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, Do you not know that those who run in a race, you see, comes back to the race, all run, but one receives the price, the crown of, for the victor. Back in those days, they had little leaf crowns which they put on their heads for the winner. And Paul taps into that knowledge now. He says, run in such a way that you may obtain it, that you may get the prize. Don't want it to come first, but just finish the race so that you can get the prize. Now, listen to me. If you do not finish the race, you do not get the prize. I remember, you know, when, when a young man, and believe me, I'm still young. Don't look at me thinking I'm old, but I used to run. I used to do you know, athletic walking, the funny way of walking, but I used to run long distances as well. If you do not finish, you know, the 5K or the 10K run, you don't get your little badge. This is the same. Now, in those 5K and 10Ks, I've never won it. You know, I'm not an athlete. Look at, you know, look at my body size. I was a rugby player, but, you know, there were young athletes who ran and, you know, the guy who came first, yes, he got a prize, a bigger prize, but everybody who finished the race got a little badge. 
And I competed for that badge. And here it's the same idea. He says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So you get a crown of righteousness, a crown of righteousness and an imperishable crown, which will be handed to you. Now in Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, we hear about another crown, which you may or may not get. Listen to this one. He says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death. So now he talks about some Christians who will die for their faith. They will be killed because they are Christians, not for their own namesake, but for Christ's namesake. And what will happen then? He says there, and I will give you the crown of life, the crown of life. They will die for their faith and they will receive a crown of life. The opposite. It's also called the martyr's crown. Now, most probably if you are raptured, you will not die a martyr's death and you will not receive this crown, the martyr's crown. And those who do come to the Lord after the rapture and who are killed for their faith who are under the altar, they will get the martyr's crown. If you now live and you die of natural causes and you're a Christian, you will not get the martyr's crown because you were not martyred for your faith. But this is the crown of life. And then in Peter, he talks about another one, Peter. He says, 1 Peter chapter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd, which is Jesus Christ, appears, you will receive the crown of glory. The crown of glory that does not fade away. Rewind, you know. Paul says, when he appears on that day, I will get my crown of righteousness. He also says it's a crown which is in, in, you can't be perished. It's imperishable. We know about the martyr's crown, but now we hear about a crown of glory, which Peter says we will receive on the day that he appears. And again, you know, if we want to come back to this, and I believe in the rapture of the church when Christ comes and he comes in the clouds and he meets us in the air and then we go with him, that's when we will get our crowns. And then in the second coming, he comes down to, to raise a war. Revelation chapter 19. There's no time for crowns then. He is set to make war in Armageddon. So here is a crown of glory. And then also in 1 Thessalonians, Paul again, he says, um, <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 19, For what is our hope, our joy, or, listen now, crown of rejoicing, crown of rejoicing, crown of glory, crown of rejoicing, crown of righteousness, imperishable crown, a crown of the martyr's crown. He says, is it not even you in the presence of your Lord Jesus Christ? At his coming. So the crown of all of these crowns. I don't know if you've noticed when I went through them. All of these crowns refer to his coming. When he comes, there's a reward. When Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, We need to understand and carefully build upon the foundation and make sure that we build right on the foundation, that it's not wood stubble which can be burned, but it's it's precious stones and and, and things and gold and silver. You you see, this is the thing, brother and sister. For whatever we do after the cross, the work we do, the works, the righteousness, the rejoicing, we will receive a reward. It is called crowns. And this is now in that context. For this church, they will receive a crown or they've got a crown. They've got an open door to proclaim the gospel. You know, they, they've got an opportunity to preach the gospel to others so that others could be saved and so that others could get their own crowns. What a joyful event. And it all refers back to when Jesus Christ is coming 
at his return. Now the question then is, what are we going to do with our crowns? Are we going to walk around in heaven with our beautiful you know, crown of righteousness? And because you were more righteous than the brother next door, he got a crown, but you were more righteous that your crown's going to be bigger and more beautiful than somebody next to you's crown. Not so. Not so. You see, we can't even imagine what heaven is going to be like. This is not going to be to show off or to show other people. We're not going to be even in a mindset to try to do that. But the reason why we get our crowns is captured for us in, in Revelation chapter 4. Because we see what the elders do with the crowns. Let's have a look. Revelation 14. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. What do they do? Walk around and parade their crowns? No, no. They cast, they take their crowns and cast it before the throne of God. And they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You who created all things by your will, they exist and were created. So it's important to keep your crown. I mean, if you can imagine for yourself, if you are saved and, and you come into heaven by fire and you've got no crown, no crown, because you were not patient, you didn't hold on to the word of God, you didn't continue to, to proclaim his name in front of others. You've, you just appear in heaven and while others are casting their crowns before the throne, you've got nothing to cast before the throne. You've got, I know what you're going to say, but preacher, I'm just too, too, I'm going to be caught up in the worship of God. Yes, you are. But you've got nothing to put before that throne. You haven't got anything to offer. You will be standing in front of the King of Kings and the Lord of Alls with empty hands. What a disappointment. And again, I come back to the fact that say, this is not losing your salvation. This is your reward of putting it in front of God. And he says to them, I'm coming quickly. Now, when he says there in chapter 3, verse 11, behold, I'm coming quickly. I know, and I've heard this before, people say, but wait a minute, the rapture has been promised so many years ago and, you know, he's not here yet. No, no. What he means by quickly is that when it's going to start happening, the events will be quickly. It will be faster than you can you think. And this is how it will happen. With the, the, the rapture will just happen. It's not as if you're going to sit here and you go, oh, I've understood that the rapture started happening where the sun comes up. So it's going to take 24 hours to go around the whole world to rapture the church. No, no, when he's coming, it's going to be quickly, like a twinkling of the eyes. And the events will then take place quick, smart. And, and let me just explain to you. I mean, we are sitting now in a lockdown because of a virus a pandemic. How quickly did that happen? Within months, the whole world was shut down. And we're struggling to get back on our feet. And we, I speak to people and say, I, I can't believe it was so quickly how everything stopped. Oh, wait until Jesus comes. Then let's listen to what the world's going to say. They're in for a massive shock. The whole world. Now, he says in verse 12, Revelation 3.12, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of God, and the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him a new name. It is so wonderful if you think about this, that they're talking about these temples that was in, in, in Philadelphia, and these temples had pillars. And what do you know about a pillar? Well, a pillar is a picture of strength. And I was in Rome. <clears throat> I actually walked, you know, in Rome amongst all of those ruins. And 
as you walk uh, amongst the ruins today or after all of these years you can see these massive pillars massive big pillars huge pillars so so the, the building around it is deteriorated it's some of it is fallen down it's only the pillars that's still standing there uh, it's a beautiful place I've got beautiful pictures of that and photos and um, but it's a it's a picture of strength and it's also a picture of stability and uh, and it also dignified beauty back in those days and again when you look at these pillars they were beautiful as, as, as you come up to them even in Rome there's still one one uh, temple there which is a really good temple it's, it's now a big building as you walk up the stairs and you look at them the first thing that catches your eyes is the pillars the pillars and and my scenes I felt this perfect myself as I walked up there and I saw those pillars I thought what a strong building you know it's a picture of strength and it's a picture of stability and of beauty and he says here that I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God wow wow what a privilege for God to make us pillars you know I, I can't think of myself of being a pillar you know, I can't picture myself as a picture of strength. I just can't. And don't come to me and say, you know, you haven't got a lot of self-confidence. I do. I've got confidence. I've got God confidence as well. But when he talks about this pillar in the temple of God, wow, you know, the overcomer will become that. And then he says, I will write them in the name of my God. Now, again, when I was in Rome and I saw these pillars, some of these pillars got names written on the pillars. So he goes back to what they know. And he goes, you, you look at all these pillars and these beautiful things. That's all beautiful. But in the temple of my God, I will make you a pillar. And I will then write on you, who's that pillar, the name of my God. Wow. Oh, just think of that. This blood. Look. Our brains is too, too small to even anticipate what Jesus is saying to these people because we don't live in that time we haven't seen those pillars we live in small houses here and I know some of you live in mansions but even this compared to that these people knew when they saw that what he was talking about it was not only marks of famous people but it's marks of identification when you go through the temple and even if you read in the Gospels, he talks about the sheep's gate. At the sheep gate, there were pillars and temples. Uh, uh, pillars in the temple. And uh, it, it showed who <clears throat> that pillar belonged to. Now, his name is going to be written on you if you're a pillar, because you belong to God. How wonderful is that? And how marvelous. And then he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear to hear, and you hear my word, words today, you need to hear what the Spirit says to you and to me. Now, I'm going to close off with comparing this to the kingdom parables. And we compare this now to the sixth parable in Matthew 13. And we find it in verse 45. He says again, again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Who then, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The kingdom of heaven, remember again, I, re I repeat what I'm saying, but just for your sake and for my sake. He was talking Jesus here in Matthew 13 to the disciples, the 12 disciples. He was under the old covenant, okay, it, in the New Testament. He was speaking to the covenant people. He didn't speak to the church then. The church was established after he was resurrected and ascended on heaven on the day of Pentecost. He gave the promise of the church to Peter when he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And he said, on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But here in Matthew 13, he was under the old covenant still. So he spoke about the, the kingdom of heaven, but we compare it to the church.
Now, last week I spoke about um, the, the great treasure. And you remember that when we spoke about the great tre treasure, that was Israel. The man came and he found the great treasure in a field. And he went away and he sold everything he had. He gave everything and he purchased that field to gain the treasure. And you remember that I said to you that Israel is that treasure. Because he came for his own, his own rejected him. And this is what happened. They were then scattered all over the world again. And he went and he purchased the whole world. And prophecy, which the Lord is laying really hard on my, on my heart to start preaching. Prophecy shows, shows us that the, the people who were scattered all over the world came back to their land. And he's coming back for them. But now he, he talks about beautiful pearls. If you compare the two. He says in the previous one, the treasure, singular. This is because he speaks about a nation, the nation of Israel. But when he talks here in this parable, he talks about pearls, plural. Because, brother and sister, he's talking about you and me, the living stones built into the church. He's talking about the church here. The beautiful pearls here is the church. And to explain that to you even further, pearls has got no value for the Jews. No value. They don't see pearls as a value. And if they look at the church today, I'm talking about the Orthodox Jews, not the Messianic Jews, the Jews who do not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior today. When they look upon the church who's worshipping a Jew, Jesus Christ, as the Lord and Savior, who we know is our Emmanuel, God with us. That is an irritation for them. And the Jews today, Israel, do not value the church at all, just like they do not value pearls. Now let's think how a pearl gets formed. A, a pearl is lying in an oyster, so the oyster is in the ocean and a little grain of sand goes into the oyster. Now, oysters don't have hands and fingers to remove it from inside of them. So what does it do? Because it can't remove that grain of sand in the oyster, it starts hiding it and then it builds around it a layer and another layer, and another layer. And as they build it around little beautiful pearl forms, they build layers so much because every time it's an irritation, there is more layers built upon it until it comes to the point where it's big and beautiful and it's taken out. It is taken out of the oyster. Again, the church is an irritation and we became this pearl of great value, of beautiful pearl. This is the church and it's to the church the task is given to preach the gospel. If we think back uh, to the church in Philadelphia now, this is how we compare it to them. The open door was given to this church. It was a church with a little strength. First it comes in as a small grain in the oyster and then it grows bigger as the pearl gets formed. Now look at the comparison with the previous parable. He says the merchant is seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found one pearl, now listen again, it's so beautiful the Bible, a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, plural, we are all living stones built into the building, the church. And then when he would come found one pearl, the church as a, as a unit, we are all, you know, Paul comes out and he says, we're all part of the body of Christ. 
you know, some is fingers and some is toes and, and if the little finger works, everything, we are all part of one. He says it in Corinthians, we are all one. When he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Similar to the, the great treasure, the pearl, he, Jesus Christ, went and he died on the cross and purchased the whole treasure, uh, the whole world. And he bought us again. So this is so comparable to this church of the open door. I, I pray that the Lord spoke to you today in the sermon. Brother, sister, you've got an open door before you. What are you going to do with that? We are the great, beautiful pearls that God, He created us. He's the author and finisher of our faith. I implore upon you, use that door. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you're giving us an open door. Thank you for the open doors in your lives, Lord, that you've opened. And whilst other people wanted to close them, they can't because you've opened them. Father, I thank you also for the closed doors, the ones that you don't want us to go through. And help us with the Holy Spirit, Lord, to protect us, to help us to keep our crowns so that we may worship you and praise you on that great day when you return.